0: Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I the truth. You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here are your hosts, Rob Dalrymple and Vinny Angelo.
1: Uh, we want to welcome everyone to the Determined Truth Podcast. I'm Rob Dalrymple. Unfortunately, my co-host Vinny Angelo is not able to be with us today, but uh, uh, we are going to take a little bit of a kind of a break from our discussion in the Book of Revelation, but not really. We're going to bring on a guest, Gary Vanderpoel, professor, pastor, and activist. Uh, Gary's taught at seminaries in Costa Rica and Denver, pastor at Evangelical Covenant churches in Oakland, Berkeley, and Boston. Uh, with Soon-Chan Ra, he wrote Return to Justice, six movements that ignited our, our contemporary evangelical conscience. He holds a doctorate in the history of global Christianity from Boston University. Uh, he's currently coaching and cheering on churches that want to do creation care together. Gary, thank you for being with us.
2: So glad to be here, Rob.
1: So, Gary, let me frame the conversation a little bit just to kind of let our listeners understand what we're doing and kind of a little bit of review. What I've been arguing in the book of Revelation is that it's not depicting God's wrath upon the nations. It's depicting what the nations do themselves. The devastation and the destruction happens because the nations do this. The powers that be manipulate things and control things for their own well-being. And God's allowing this to occur because, as we're going to find out when we get to Revelation 10 and 11, because the, the people of God haven't finished their mission. And it's the loving, sacrificial laying down of their lives of God's people that brings the conversion of the nations. And, and what I argued, uh, Gary, and for those who are listening in, in the last section was we did Revelation chapters 8 and 9, the seven trumpets. And what I presented there in, in terms of the first four trumpets is that's devastation upon the creation, the fourfold elements of creation. The, the first four trumpets affect the land affect the sea, affect the rivers and the waters, so fresh water and salt water, and then affect uh, affect the sun, the moon, and the stars. Here's this devastation on creation happening because of our actions and those in power's actions. And then the the last trumpet ends in chapter 11 by saying that God's going to destroy those who destroy the earth. And I presented the point that that obviously indicates that God can't be the one destroying the earth because he's destroying those who destroy it and it indicates that that man uh, is destroying it. So uh, I want to bring Gary on to talk a little bit, not just necessarily the science and the theology part of it as well, but let's get down to practical. What can we do about this also, instead of just bringing this out? So Gary, let me just start introducing yourself a little bit more. Kind of tell us a little bit more about Gary, and, and we'll move from there.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's been a long journey for me. I never thought I would be in my early 50s being a Sort of climate action activist because um, you know I've called to be a pastor at age 16. I've been a missionary, taught in seminary. Uh, I think God's really called me to um, to help Christians see how just how great God, salvation really is. You know, I think I was brought up in a church where salvation was about your soul and soul winning and those kinds of things. Um, so I'm thrilled to be on this podcast because you're giving a picture of God's salvation and revelation and throughout all the scriptures. Of A salvation that's not just our soul, but our bodies and society and the whole planet, um, which is a beautiful and powerful picture of Jesus as Lord, as Redeemer, as Creator, Hmm. and all these things. So for me, it's a very natural flow from uh, my call to being a pastor and being a missionary to being a climate activist. Uh, It's because I follow Jesus, the Redeemer and the Creator, uh, that I'm doing this work now.
1: Well, needless to say, I'm sure you're familiar with the fact that many Christians, especially evangelicals that lean to the right, perhaps, uh, remain skeptical that global warming is just is part of a secular liberal agenda meant to undermine our economy or promote a like a pro-Earth and uh, our Mother Earth type of mentality, undermining the Christian gospel. How do you respond to that?
2: Um, I, I think it's um, it's the result of this polarized era that we're in. And I think if we just go back to the Bible, it wouldn't really make any sense. Uh, let me give you an example. Like uh-huh. for the last few years, I've worked with Citizens Climate Lobby. They're just uh, uh, an organization trying to promote um, a fee on carbon. So like it's you can pollute for free, and so there should be a fee on it. Pretty simple. Uh-huh. And so I go to those meetings as a pastor, and people are surprised. They're like, uh-huh. wait, what are you doing here? I live in Berkeley, right? So all the liberals that that... You know, everybody in my church uh, that I grew up in was afraid of, and uh, and they do have a different worldview coming to this. Okay. But I share with them, like, well, you know, I think Christians, of all people, like, we believe God lovingly created all this stuff. Awesome. Like, put us as humanity in charge. He gave us a special responsibility. It's so, we get to work with God and protecting God's creation that God loves so much. I tell them, like, we should be the first people like lining up to God's creation, right? And they're like, Oh wow, tell me more. Awesome. You know, I do not have people in Berkeley when I tell them I'm a pastor, say, tell me more.
1: <laughs> it's really
2: the awkward moment at the party. But I will say that when I live into that call, that biblical call to yep, stewardship, yep, yep.
1: that's awesome.
2: They say, Tell me more. So I believe that brings glory to God, our creator. Amen.
1: Amen. Um,
2: so I just think it's It's a real missed opportunity that we've become so, oh, that's for liberals. Like, no, it's not. We should be leaders in this. Amen. Amen. So it's not too late to jump into this. And we might be doing it. We might have a different vision. We're not looking at Mother Earth. We worship the creator, not the creation. Um, But in order to bring glory to that creator, uh, man, we got to be involved. And I think, you know, that's one of the best ways to do evangelism these days. And to bring glory to God.
1: Amen. Yeah. I play a lot of golf, Gary. And when I get on the golf course, eventually at some point in time, sometimes they ask, so what do you do? Right. right. And, and as soon as they find out, it's really interesting how the conversations all of a sudden change. They feel like they're not allowed to swear. Right. They're, they're, yeah. It's it's like, Hey guys, it's just be yourself. Cause I right. go, Oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I, right. I'm like, hey, look, it's okay. Just right. be you. That's all. Yeah. But uh, I think that's phenomenal. So uh, can you help us understand a little bit, at least some of the scientific data? That's led at least you to believe that uh, global warming is not a left wing conspiracy, but maybe something that's actually legitimate.
2: Yeah, um, you know, I think when it comes to science, like none of us are experts, and that's partly just living in the world today. Like we don't know how anything works. We don't know how we heat up our houses. We don't know how our our cell phones work. Like everything, <laughs> we don't know how the the drug the drug that we're taking actually works. We don't know the chemistry behind that. So we're sort of left to trust a lot of expertise. Um, and for the most part, we we do that, right? It's just there's a few times, I think, especially for those of us like me that came to faith in more conservative churches and, you know, mm-hmm. we heard about evolution. So therefore, I don't right. trust science. So no, it well, was
1: evolution in some of the churches exactly, that I went to. Right. Yeah, yeah.
2: I guess I find that sometimes there's a bit of a like, well, we trust science 99% of the time except when it's inconvenient then we're like well i'm not sure about that or there's something uh, interesting but you know the 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 fact is like um the science of of cl- of the climate crisis is just really really basic it's just really basic physics it's just like when you throw a bunch of carbon in the air like just look outside on the freeway we're just pouring carbon into the air it basically just acts like a blanket stopping mm. stopping the hot air from getting out of the atmosphere so it's really not controversial at all. And uh, it it only can seem controversial on like cable news because you know they'll find like one random scientist who's been paid by the fossil fuel industry and it'll seem like it's like ah it's 50-50. But it's the closest thing there's there's ever been to a scientific consensus. So I just yeah. frankly, I just don't we don't, I don't think we have any really good reason to doubt it. Okay. Um, it's it's just that, like, our whole world is built on fossil fuels, so it is tremendously inconvenient. Um, right. There's an old quote I really like that says, um, it's very hard to get someone to understand something when their salary depends on them not <laughs> understanding it.
1: Uh, uh, I would even add when their comfort disp- depends exactly. on them not understanding it, right?
2: It, exactly. So yeah, I just think yeah. we've got to be honest with ourselves, like, is this really a scientific issue for you? And for most of us, it's really not. It's um, I think the science is really clear. Okay. Uh, it's a question of like, what do we do about it? Right. Okay. And, um, and so I think for me, though, it's not so much about the science, because I think the science is really clear, but it's really more about the Bible. Mm. Um, for me, it is really seeing that if you, you look at the scriptures and you see from the beginning to the end, from Genesis to Revelation, it's this picture of God's loving creation and then restoration of creation and his invitation to us to join in that work. Right, right. But it's also interesting because um, I think we need to be honest that like, you're not going to see a straightforward chapter and verse call to do climate action in the Bible. Because in the ancient Near East, when both the Old and New Testaments were written, it was impossible to even imagine that humans could become so technologically powerful right, right. that they could begin to destroy creation and make species go extinct. Right. And harm the poor around the planet. Like, we couldn't have understood that. Right. So, um, so so you do have to have some imagination in reading the scriptures. And that's why my favorite Bible verse when it comes to, you know, the responding to the climate crisis is, love your neighbor as yourself.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, good.
2: It's love your neighbor as yourself. Good, good. Um, yeah,
1: now, one of the things that sometimes is argued is, Uh, and especially I saw this in a lot of dispensational end time stuff that I deal with in the seventies, eighties and nineties is, well, God told us to rule over the the creation and to subdue the earth. And somehow that came to mean subdue came to mean use it for whatever advantage that we wanted for for humanity. And what I find really interesting in the Genesis one account, uh, Gary, is that, you know, Genesis one, 24 through 31, all of a sudden describes, you know, the sixth day of creation. And, and it begins with, Verses 24 and 25, the formation of the beasts and the land animals. And then verse 26 has this, then God said, which is important because it's a second, then God said in the middle of one day, which is unique. But verse 26 through 29 and 28 and 30, you know, it's describing the humanity, uh, the creation of humanity, which this long description of it is obviously accenting the significance of humanity. And it says in verse 26 that they we're supposed to rule over the fish of the sea. And, and then it says in verse uh, 28 that, we're the rule with the fish of the sea and to subdue the earth. Uh, and then it says in 29, and I've given you everything, uh, every green plant for, 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 for food. But then it adds in verse 30. Oh, and by the way, to the beasts of the earth and the birds of the sky, um, I've also given every green plant for food for them also. And it's like, why this interjection about the other animals and this right. long description about the formation of humanity. And I, I think the point is, you're supposed to subdue the earth and do agriculture and grow plants. But remember, it's for the animals, too. Right. It's, it's not just for you to rape and pillage. It's for the rest of creation there. So I find that interesting.
2: That's right. And, it, and I think if you really look back to the history of this attitude that we're, dominion means domination, that I think for a lot of us, we've become used to, that, that comes from enlightenment thinking. Yes, that very good. From, so, so actually, the idea that, oh, it's OK for us to dominate the earth. That comes from secular thinking. Yeah, that,
1: enlightenment that, is secular thinking. Very that's important. right.
2: That comes from the idea that, like, well, the world is just a big machine. Yep. And we're the top of that machine. So we can do with it whatever we want. Right. Right. That is already a secular, non Christian move. So yes. when we have that attitude, we've actually secularized our own reading of the Bible.
1: Yes. Yeah. Very. So, right. so and
2: the, th- so the concern about, like, oh, well, we shouldn't do creation care because that's a secular liberal thing. No, the attitude of like seeing the creation as a machine that we can do with what we want, that is already the secular thing that yeah, we need yeah, to yeah. be discipled out of.
1: Yeah, ex- excellent. All right, one other thought on the scientific thing here, and that is some will respond by saying, well, the the Earth just goes through these cycles. It gets warmer, it gets colder. We you know we had an ice age ten, twelve thousand 12,000 years ago. So this is just another one of those cycles. But what the modern claim of global warming is, that humanity is contributing to this and accelerating the process. Is that fair?
2: That's absolutely true. And again, that's the scientific consensus. Right. And uh, people who say say that just don't know the science, and we're just repeating something we've heard on cable news or something. um so if if that's a concern for for any listeners, I would say, really, look at the data with an open mind. Right. Um, right, and I right. think it'll be it'll be really pretty clear. But I think I don't think for most of us, that's really so much an issue anymore. Because we're actually starting to see it. Yes. Uh, so I live yes. in California, where like every year, you know, September and October used to be uh, my favorite months of the year, and now it's wildfire season. Mm. Um, you know, where you live in Arizona, you know, the water's drying up entirely. Mm. You know, and and these are predictions that uh, scientists were making. You know, when I was getting my driver's license in 1986. And so you can just look at the data like it's already happening. We, we don't have to extrapolate into the future anymore. Uh, we can actually see that these predictions have already come true. Yeah. Yeah. Set to get even worse. So
1: All right. let's add one more aspect to this conversation in terms of the, just the whole issue as a whole. Mm-hmm. And that is the data started coming out in the 70s and 80s and early 90s. That, right. that, that, it was pretty evident. Right. Um, and what was interesting is that one of the leading research of groups was ExxonMobil saying, yeah, look, this is a, we project, and because ExxonMobil actually hired scientists That's to right. do the to do the research to say, what effects is this having and CO2 in the atmosphere? And like, hey, this is what's going to happen. And I think in a 2018 hearing before Congress, some of those scientists went before Congress and said, hey, right. we were really good scientists because we predicted exactly what's going to happen. That's right. Here's what we predicted and here's what's happened. But then ExxonMobil comes out in the 90s and says, well, the data is unclear, it's uncertain, it can go both ways. And we actually have time to to fix this if it really is legitimate. So they were contradicting their own their own scientists. And what I find intriguing that is the primary proponents arguing against global warming or arguing that the data is uncertain, are the major oil companies.
2: That's right. That's exactly right. So I think as Christians, sometimes, you know, we've rightly been skeptical of of liberal and secular thinking in some areas. But I think maybe we need to extend our secular our, our skepticism to things like the big oil companies which is obvious they have a lot of money to lose on this. Yes. They're not going to tell us the truth. Right. Um, so let's not be fooled by people who have an obvious economic interest in keeping right, right. the pumps running. Yeah.
1: Right. Oh, ac- excellent. Hey everyone
0: we want to thank you for joining us on today's podcast and we want to remind you that everything we provide at Determined Truth is free of charge and this even includes all of the teaching that Rob does on a weekly basis to pastors in India and around the world. We don't have any supporters that get special behind the scenes access but we can only do this with the generous support that comes from those of you who can afford to give. So if you would prayerfully consider supporting us with anything from $5 a month or more, we will continue to work hard to challenge the church to be the church. To give, go to DeterminedTruth.com and click on the
1: Give tab
0: or follow the link in the
1: show notes. So one of the major concerns uh, by proponents of global warming is the, effect that, the effects that it's going to have, and as you noted, it's already having, uh, on the climate. So what are some things that this is going to mean for the world and for the people of the world?
2: Yeah. I think uh, one of my heroes on this is uh, a climate scientist named Catherine Hayhoe. Okay. Uh, and so I want to like just tell your listeners, like I'm glad you're listening to us today, but really you should listen to Catherine Hayhoe. She's amazing because she's actually an evangelical Christian, and she's, okay. she's one of the top climate scientists out there. Um, and she's married to a megachurch pastor in Texas.
1: Oh, wow. Oh, that's talk, really interesting. They got in to Texas. talk about
2: that in their marriage. So you can Google <laughs> her. Her last name is H-A-Y-H-O-E.
1: All right, I'll put uh, but, some links in the in the uh, uh, yeah in the show notes.
2: But she calls the climate crisis a threat multiplier. So mm. basically, anything you care about, it's going to make it worse. And so uh, you know, you could talk about so many different things. I'll just talk about one thing because my wife is a social worker, and she works with immigrants and refugees, uh, which okay. is close to God's heart. Just read the Old Testament, you know? the foreigner and the sojourner within your gates. You know, it's it's right there in the Ten Commandments. But one of the things that is very likely to happen, because the climate crisis is going to mean people's crops stop growing uh, properly. It means there's Mm. not water anymore. It means um, that, like, if you're in Bangladesh, it means your house is probably underwater. If you're in Louisiana, uh, if you're close to New Orleans, it means your house is probably underwater. There's all kinds of things that are going to just displace people. And that means that by, uh, you know, estimates, and this is an estimate, it's not a scientific certainty, but on the conservative side, that by 2050, and I should still be, I hope I'm still alive then, you know, I'll be around 80. But you know, what I hope doesn't happen in 2050, when I'm 80, is uh, the possibility of there being 100 million climate refugees. Wow. That's like two or three Californians, people are, who are going to have to leave their home, like. We have never seen a refugee crisis. Where are these people going to live? What's going to happen? Right, right. You think they're going to be treated well? There's no right. way. Just look at just look at what's happening now. As we feel overwhelmed at our borders and things like that, a hundred million people who are just trying to you know, trying to live and feed their families are going to no longer be able to live where they grew up and live in the, their hometown and you know the places they love and live in. So, and that's just one thing. So that's why that's why what I'm saying is like, for me, um, as I've really seen God's call for justice, as I've seen over and over again, how concerned Jesus was for the poor and for the least of these, whatever you do to the least of these, you do unto me. I think so much about those people who are going to be climate refugees
1: Mm.
2: to California's worth. And those are my neighbors. Right. And so that's, you know, I. I have, you know, since I've been thinking about this, I have come to love creation more. You know, I go on prayer walks, and sometimes I even hug the redwood trees on my prayer walk. You know, I do. Oh, so you're a tree hugger. I'm a tree hugger for Jesus. (laughs) It's all good. But, you know, I don't think you have to even be a tree hugger or even like hiking or whatever. You just have to actually care about those hundred million climate. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I think that's something that conservative Christians like me have done really well, that they've had the imagination to care about the unborn. Hmm. You know, think about the moral imagination that takes to to care about people who aren't even born yet, who you're probably never going to meet. But uh, I think Christians have really cared about that particular issue. And the climate crisis is a a little bit like that, because uh, when this gets really bad, this is going to be our kids and grandkids generation, you know, speaking from someone who's like 50 some years old. And so, You know, I think a lot about my legacy. I think about my kids are 18 and 20 right now Mm -hmm. um, in 2050 when I'm 80. And if there really are these hundred million climate refugees, if there really are wars that are happening over water, if there really are mass, even more massive wildfires than there are now, people dying of pollution and smoke inhalation and all of these things. um, I imagine my grandkid coming up to me and saying, Daddy, weren't you a theologian? Like. Did you still drive your gas-powered car? Did you contribute to this? Mm-hmm. And I just think about that voice. And I think that God is calling me, and I think all of us actually, to have the faith and the and the moral imagination to remember the unborn, to remember our grandkids' generation, to remember the kind of world that we're giving them, and to make this issue of climate action a discipleship issue. I really think yeah. that's what God is calling us to. And that's why I think this is a really practical podcast
1: i like the way you put that because if there's anything that we care about it's our grandkids right Grand. <laughs> yeah our kids are cool but the grandkids are way better yeah um, and so now you're saying hey if you care about your grandkids then let's take action so that we can make sure that they have a hab- hab- habitable place to live yeah
2: um, uh, yeah now, and the good news is it is really possible okay I think right. that I used to have an idea, and I think a lot of people have this of like, you know, so you sort of move from the sort of like, oh, climate, is that really a thing? I'm not really sure. I don't know. It shouldn't be a priority. And then when you see the data and you realize what's going to happen, then, then you can actually feel like overwhelmed and paralyzed. Oh, I can't do anything. Can right. we solve this? Oh, we can't solve it. Oh, well, I guess we may as well live it up while we can. But the reality is every little bit matters. Okay. Every little bit that we um, don't put carbon or methane in the air makes the world a little bit better place for our grandkids. And so every step of faith that we take of discipleship, it brings glory to God. It makes the world a better place. And it, it's I think it's it's part of God's call to be steward of creation. So it's not an either or. Every little bit we do really helps, and to me that gives me a lot of hope and motivation
1: okay and that's really interesting because you're putting this in a context now there's that that old story of the girl walking along the beach throwing starfish you know thousands and thousands of starfish on the beach and she throws one in and someone comes up to her and says what are you doing you know you're you you can't you can't throw all these back into the ocean you 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 can't make a difference and she picks up another starfish and throws it in the ocean she says it made a difference to that one
2: that's exactly right
1: yeah yeah so the idea so that's interesting because one of the things that we think of is, is, well, okay, this is such a big issue. We need the governments of the world to solve it. And it's, it's kind of out of my hands. You know, I kind of wash my hands of this and say, well, my responsibility is there, but, but whether I eat, you know, steak or chicken tonight won't really make much difference. Right. Uh, and you're saying, no, it, it will make a difference.
2: Absolutely. And, and um, it's probably impossible to stop all the bad influence, you know, impacts of the climate crisis now. Uh, sure. it's going, some bad things are going to happen but just how bad they are is really up to us. And that's where it does make a difference. So every single choice of, you know, steak or lentils does add up. It adds- I like my
1: option of steak or chicken. You went well, too far Well, me with too. Lentils. I just, you know, I ate chicken <laughs>
2: for breakfast this morning. So, but you know, like, uh, you know, the small things like, you know, where I met Rob, we were at a conference and we were talking about silly stuff like, Getting a bidet, yeah, yeah, the same. And I got one. It was thirty. Okay, I'm the
1: only you know, one of the group that hasn't gotten one yet. Yeah, well, you got. I, have, have peer I pressure, haven't man. conversation to
2: my wife yet, so I have like. Yeah, you won't. You won't go back. But you know, so it's it's funny. These very intimate issues, like how you poop and how you drive and how you heat up your house and how you take a hot shower mm. and what you eat for dinner, like these are these are discipleship issues that are wow. intimately created, intimately connected to us as. As human beings. So, I actually think this is an opportunity to grow as disciples and to meet God in in the day to day. You know, it it makes, I think there's a lot of, you know, it's rightly the cliche that Christianity isn't a Sunday only religion, right? That we follow Jesus day to day. And -hmm. so, I think if we respond faithfully to the climate crisis, we're going to see how our faith can be put into practice all the time as how we get to work, how we, you know, take a shower before work what we feed our kids, all of these things become discipleship issues and become opportunities to make a difference and to grow in our love for Jesus in a super practical way.
1: You're hitting a chord, though, right? And we're hitting that cord of uncomfortableness, of change, of I'm comfortable living this way, I'm comfortable eating these foods, I'm comfortable driving my I'm, I'm comfortable. And And we've also established an economy and a social construct right. that almost... I depend on the car. I depend on these Absolutely. things. So let's go back a step for just a second. And then we'll come more, come more to some of the practical things that we can do. But Great. the effects of global warming really do affect the poor That's right. far more than they affect the wealthy. Can you speak to that for a second?
2: Yeah. I mean, it, it's again, a simple fact that it's the rich countries of the world, especially the U.S. and China mm. that are putting the vast majority of the carbon up in the air. Okay. And, um, and- the people that's going to affect are the small farmers in Africa and Latin America and and even like uh, black and brown communities in cities like New Orleans. You know, we already saw that with Hurricane Katrina. Right. It's the people who are who are wealthy, who have the money to, you know, fly around like me. I, I can fly to Europe on vacation uh, and puts a lot of carbon into the air. But the impacts of that are going to be felt on the people who are still just trying to make it. Um, and they're not going to be able to move to like I, I had friends, you know, friends who are wealthy, who have their MBA, they just moved to Minneapolis because they realize, you know, Minneapolis is probably going to be safe from the climate crisis as they as they raise their kids. They're really already wow. thinking about this. Wow. Uh, most of us aren't there, but uh, it's actually the people who who cause the harm who can avoid the harm most. Yep. I really believe this is a justice issue. I believe God cares about That's justice. interesting. And um we have created an economy that depends on fossil fuels for almost everything, and that that wasn't bad at the time. We didn't know that was bad. In fact, um you know, how do you think people came to love nature? They drove their cars to Yosemite and they hiked around and they said this mm. is beautiful. But now we realize and so we're accountable for that knowledge. Okay. Um, and, and I think you're right. Like Christianity isn't comfortable. It is uncomfortable to take up your cross and Amen. to turn for the least of these. Mm-hmm. right and to um, to change the systems and structures, because that's what Jesus calls us to. Yeah, um, that is uncomfortable. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're a Christian, you should already know that, though, you know, truth and advertising. You didn't sign up for something easy. You signed up to take your cross and follow me. And so, uh, but what I've realized is that um, we can't do it alone. Uh-huh. We are not called to be super Christians by ourselves and making fundamental life changes and like dealing with this really inconvenient and uncomfortable stuff. I really believe it should be fun and it should be in community and it should be an experience of Christian fellowship mm-hmm. that we do that. And so I'll tell some stories in just a minute about that. Sure. That's where it gets really exciting. Like I've tried to do climate action sort of by myself. It's really hard. It's not fun. I don't have the, I don't have the discipline really. Like I, I revert, like I grew up eating like Taco Bell, you know, like fast food. That's my guilty pleasure. Right. So just the willpower of like, oh, I won't do all this stuff that I love doing. I can't do this stuff by myself. I need the body of Christ. Oh, wow! I need to be able to do it together in community. And I need the sort of joy and meaning and fun of living out the gospel together. And the climate crisis, you know, doing climate action together is the very first place. So I would not advise, like, don't try this at home by yourself.
1: <laughs>
2: Find some other Christian friends and uh, and figure that out together. So that's the most practical thing. Like do it together, okay. gather some other people and uh, and make it fun um, and make it meaningful because otherwise, okay. It's just not going to happen for most of us.
1: Uh, well, you're going to have to unpack that. So now uh, what you're saying then is, is that this is not simply about demanding that the United States adopt the Paris Accords, but it's about mobilizing Christians, small groups and, and others to take action. So go into some more detail about that. What do you mean by make it fun? What do you mean by do this as a group? What are some things that we can do to make a difference?
2: Yeah, well, let me just tell you about my, the Sunday school class I led at my church on this. A lot of fun so we actually had did three ways of uh of we, we chose three ways of doing climate action one is prayerful and so we spent time in nature we took a sabbath on saturday we went for like hikes we took pictures and uh, we just kind of got reconnected to our creator through the loving the creation and uh, some of us did that together some of us did it on our own on our day off and we like texted each other pictures of beautiful things that we saw. And we wrote Shabbat Shalom, you know, peace to you this Sabbath day. Uh, And we shared about how that went. So that was really fun.
0: We hope you're enjoying the podcast. And we want to remind you that everything we do at Determined Truth, the podcast, Rob's blog, and our YouTube channel is available on the Determined Truth app. Directions on how to download the app is available in the show notes and on the DeterminedTruth.com website. Just click on the app tab.
2: And then we did Personal climate action. We looked at all the different machines that we use that burn fossil fuels to just live our lives, and we started thinking about would there be ways that we could get rid of some of those things. Um, and so there was one guy. Uh, There's a guy named Roy. He's a 70 year old engineer in our church, and when he heard about all the you know the damage that that cars have done, he was really sad because he loves muscle cars. Mm. You now he like. His first date with his wife—they've been married like 50 years—was not this Ford Mustang. He even brought a little model of it to class, so he was sad. And I was like, "Roy, did you know that Ford now makes an EV, an electric Mustang?" And he's like, "Oh, I didn't know." And so two weeks later, he showed up in this Ford Mach E EV to church, and I was wow. so—I went for a ride with him. I tried to get him to drive it really fast, and you know, it was—it was really fun. And so, um. That's just like one example of because we thought about this together in the Sunday school class, this person now, he's thinking about his grandkids. He is now not emitting carbon as he just drives to church, like literally it's how he even gets to church. Wow. wow. There's another family whose uh, heating and cooling system, like they, ne- they need to repair it. And they realize that you can now buy something called a heat pump, which does that not by burning natural gas, uh, which is really just methane. But they can do it with electricity. It can be totally it can be totally clean here in California. And so um they they found a contractor that could get this heat pump thing. They actually got money from the government. They got these rebates back. And they took pictures of them and their family like hugging this new like electric heater thing. And uh, so in our in our Sunday school class, We like, we got sparkling cider because we're good conservative Christians. We didn't drink wine. That would have been fun. But we drank toast. We prayed over their water heater. We like blessed it in Jesus name that when they take showers, when they heat their house, you know, getting ready to go to church, they're not going to be putting fossil fuels into the air. And we did that as a community. Right. So it was really fun because coming out of this class, it felt like, wow, we're doing this together usually when you think about, oh, the climate crisis, the world is burning up, you're like depressed and paralyzed. This felt like, wow, we're really doing something. And the fact that these other people did it, like we knew we all had a part in that. And Mm. so now I'm like thinking, oh, I'm going to replace my old, you know, gas burning thing too. And so I'm looking into that now and I'm going to be taking these next steps. So it's sort of catching, right? Mm. We're all thinking of how we can do that. Uh, And so these are just a couple ideas. Let me just, tell the third way that we please, did this practically so it's prayerful personal and then it was political because i do think you know politics is a dirty word politics is a mess in the church these days <laughs> but it is also true that we do need structural change we, it's right now it's really easy and it's free to pollute and so we mm-hmm. do need to change some of those rules so what we also did in this sunday school class is um We we called our local school board and asked them to get electric buses for our students, because right now they're diesel buses and they actually put a lot of pollution in the air. They put carbon in the air. It's bad for our kids. And there are these great electric school buses now. And you can do political action by just asking your school board to to make that change. You don't have to get involved in presidential politics. Doesn't have to be Democrat, Republican. It doesn't have to be all nasty. It can just simply be like, hey, we care about our kids. And we did that in our class, in our Sunday school class. Hmm. We wrote the emails to the school board. We prayed over those emails again in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, would you just like protect our kids? Lord, would you do this? And so when you make the big structural change, that's many, many years and miles of picking up kids. Uh, So I think the political action is worth it. Uh, you know, the other thing yeah. we did is we we tech, we we sent emails and made phone calls to Amazon because, you know, I'm an Amazon Prime member. Um, political action includes these big corporations, which are part of our lives. And we just told them, like, hey, Amazon, when you deliver my, my products, could you send it in an electric delivery vehicle? Like, can you not burn carbon? And you can afford it. And actually, Amazon yeah. has uh, invested in an electric right. company. And so now I'm starting to see these things. And so I think we have a lot of power, even as individual Christians, to not just deal with our personal lives, although that's important, but to even be involved in the political process too, which gets around some of the the sort of nasty, national, polarized politics that maybe we rightfully want to avoid.
1: Uh, Excellent. So I was uh, prepping, I mentioned before we got on that, I discussed this a little bit in my worldview class at the university saying, how does worldview impact our yep. understanding and what side of the aisle we might be on, on global warming. And I was preparing for that a little bit, as well as for this uh, episode also. And I came across some, uh, uh documentaries or, or some YouTube clips a couple minute long. And what I was really intrigued by was one of the clips mentioned the fact that actually our personal habits that's eating right. and things of that nature can have a far greater effect than actually eliminating cars. I was, uh, those habits actually put more carbon into the air than than automobiles and airplanes i was like what that was, yeah it was, was incredible
2: so that's another thing we're doing in our church is we're, we're putting together this cookbook uh, because we have small groups every week right we get together in our houses and we always have a meal and so um we we now have our cookbooks that are like beef free and so that's something we do as a church, right? And that's something that is fun and meaningful. We can sort of say, uh, this is part of our, our corporate witness together, is that when we come together in Jesus' name, we don't eat meat. There are many wonderful things in God's creation, as it says in Genesis 1. You know, all the plants, uh, you know, the yeah, to eat. Um, but, you know, I didn't really, I grow up, I learned to make, like, meat, man. I'm a yeah, gardener. yeah, yeah. I don't even, like, I don't. I don't have good vegetarian like stuff that I actually like.
1: Yeah, me neither. Right.
2: So right. now in church, I'm finding stuff that I do like. Like, I I got these recipes now that I go to, and I'm actually into. Like, as a Taco Bell meat lover, I confess to you, Rob, that now I really like these broccoli fritters I make. Wow. Okay. And I'm pretty good at it. And All I can right. make these for my church. So, it is doable. You don't have to, like, it's not, it doesn't have to be miserable. You don't have to be a self righteous vegan or something. Um, You can create a cookbook in your church. And so, these kind of personal things can not just be personal, but they can be communal as well. Um, And what you're saying, it can be just as tasty and fun.
1: Okay. And what you're saying is, you don't have to go all the way. You just made a comment, you don't have to become a vegan. You just every little bit is helpful.
2: That's right. And what we say in our church is we, we try to move at the speed of grace. Okay. You know, it is true. Take up your cross and follow me. Following Jesus is hard. But, you know, we also, God changes us step by step.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so as you take one step, God gives you grace for more. You know, like I, I've, I've grown in this over the years. Mm-hmm. And so I think the, the really important thing coming out of this is, you know, you tackle this huge issue like the climate crisis. You can feel like you have to suddenly be a saint overnight but you don't maybe just start by cutting out one beef meal a week. If that's right. where, if that's what you have the grace for, like start there, maybe just don't eat beef at church. Um, you know, if you can cut out one plane flight a year, right. You know, maybe you fly four or five times a year. Uh, maybe you can fly three times this year Right. And do a staycation for that one thing. Like that's a step. And I really believe that, um, as we grow in grace, as we move at the speed of grace, We should then really celebrate that because I believe God is pleased with that. God says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Mm. And he helps us to grow more. But yeah, we don't have to be saints overnight, but I think we are called to grow and take the next step, whatever that is for us, and to take that step in community. So I think the real challenge to all of us listening to this podcast might be like, hey, tap a friend on the shoulder or have a conversation with our family and say, hey, guys, could we have one less beef meal a week? Would you guys be mm. down for that? How do you feel about that? And be like, "What are you talking about, man?" You know, we <laughs> talk about it. It could be awkward, but it's a step, you know. Yeah, so I yeah. think there's both a call to challenge and to, you know, God loves God gives us both grace and mercy. Yeah. God has mercy on us to figure it out step by step. God also gives us the grace to take these steps that might have seemed too hard for us in the past.
1: What are some resources then? You've mentioned a few already, and maybe what we'll do is. Uh, between you and I, we'll get together some resources, and I'll put them in the show notes so people have access to them. Uh, where we might learn more about global warming as an issue itself, uh, and then take some practical steps that you're talking about here for advocating and for actually implementing things to help uh, overcome global warming.
2: Yeah, we. You'll see the show notes, um, and you know, I've spent the last five years trying to figure out what's the best stuff on this. So these are the places that I would really start. Uh, one is a book that's a few years old now. It's called The Uninhabitable Earth by David Wallace Wells. Um, he's a journalist, but I think he does the best job that I've seen of just summarizing the data out there, just like the facts. I think he's very even handed and, and fair minded. Um, that's one thing. Another one I mentioned earlier is just anything by Catherine Hayhoe. Um, She has so many YouTube videos out there. She's got a TED Talk. She's got op eds and all the major magazines. Uh, and, and newspapers. Uh, I would just say Google her and and follow that rabbit, follow the Catherine Hayhoe rabbit trail. Okay. Uh, she's really good. Uh, if you want to, if you're more of a theologian type, which you might be if you're listening to uh, <laughs> Dr. Rob's podcast here, I think Norman Wurzba, who is a theologian at Duke, uh, is really good. His book, uh, From Nature to Creation, I think does a great job of getting into some of the deeper theological and biblical underpinnings uh so those would be three things i would mention i could go on but you know you you know how you can you just keep clicking the next link um those would be right. those would be places that you could go uh, that i found really helpful the last thing i would say is i am currently putting together um a small group curriculum for anybody okay, that cool. wants to like you know in your church you want to do a sunday school class like i did or you have a midweek small group, or even you just want to gather your family or a couple of friends, I would love to share that with you. So I'll put okay, yeah. the information in the show notes. Would love to kind of make this a little bit of a movement where we realize like, hey, we're not alone. Like God is doing this. God mm-hmm. has a remnant, I believe, in every church. You might be part of that remnant. And uh, And I think this could be really a thing that Christians could become known for. Like right now, we are not known for our climate action but right. that doesn't have to stay that way. That's something we could change. And if you're interested, I would love to share that, uh, that material with you and, to, and also to be encouraged by what God is doing uh, among your uh, sphere of influence.
1: Uh, what I would recommend then, what we'll do is if, if you're interested in that, make sure that you send me an email and make sure that you get on the, the Determined Truth email list. And then when you have that done, Gary, send it to me and I'll put that on in the Determined Truth email uh, blast that goes out to everybody. That so every, everybody on the list can get it. So just make sure you get added to that list. Uh, that excellent. Yeah, um, yeah. All right. Hey, anything else that we want to add here? This, is, this has been excellent. I, really practical, not just understand an issue, but understand, hey, there are actually steps that we can take. So uh, anything else you want to add?
2: Yeah, I think the last thing I would say is uh, you noticed the progression of this conversation. We started with the science and mm-hmm. we started with the ethics, you know, these challenging things. And we ended with story and imagination and community. Mm. And I think that's the really the right place to be. That's where change happens. That's where joy happens. That's where witness happens. So, um, you know, can we reframe this whole climate crisis thing to be a way of doing stuff together, of imagining a new way of partnering with God and being stewards of God's creation and, in telling a different story of what church is, of what mm. it means to be Christian right uh, in a way that I think I think we'd all be thrilled to see, you know, church has received so much bad press lately, and rightly so. I think this is a way to change that story um, um, and to change even our own experience of faith. So I think it's just it's uh it's wonderful to encounter this like really weighty topic and to come out feeling some hope. And uh, and feeling some some joy that we get the privilege of of making a difference in this big crisis that does face it.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you. So again, if you're listening, pay attention to the show notes or look down at the show notes. And we'll get some resources there for you, Gary. Wonderful, wonderful to have you on, and I appreciate all that you've done that you're doing.
2: Thanks for the opportunity, Rob.
1: All right. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next week to thank
0: you for joining us on today's podcast and we would love for you to share the work of determined truth with others please follow this podcast and give a review on itunes spotify or wherever you get your podcasts your review will go a long way towards helping others find this podcast then share it with others so that we can get the word of the gospel of the kingdom to more people